0: I want to read a passage to you this morning. You'll probably recognize it, but I'm going to read it from another translation. I am overwhelmed by the power of Jesus. I'm overwhelmed by his power, he's more powerful than any other being on earth. He's more powerful than any other individual on earth. In fact, when he walked on earth, it said that his name was God with us. We actually had God walking amongst us. says in him dwelt the fullness of the godhead bodily they took the infinite we took they took god they took the majesty and the amazing power of god and somehow they packed that into a body into a human body he laid down his deity and accepted humanity and yet as he walked in humanity he revealed divinity He he walked as a man. Because everything we look at, we say if he can do it, we can do it. Well, we can do it because he was man. He was man, 100 percent man, 100 percent God. Don't ask me how to figure that out because I love math and I can't figure out 100 percent. Usually means 100 percent, but when you've got 100 percent man and 100 percent God, he can do whatever math he wants. He's better at mathing than I am. But he took temptations. He bore our sickness. He bore our illness. He bore those things. And then he said on the cross, he says, It's finished. And he didn't mean it was partially done. But every single thing you need is found in Christ. Every single thing. Not the Me Too movement, Christ. Not some philosophy of man, but Christ. And I'm overwhelmed by the power of Jesus and how He can affect a life. He can change the destiny of a life from eternal separation and hell, which is real, Don't kid yourself. Hell is real. And he can change the destination from hell to eternal fellowship, relationship, and heaven with him. He said, I'm the way. He said, I'm the truth. And I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is amazing. And sometimes, I think, in Christian circles, we try to to make him palatable so that other people will accept him. Quite frankly, he's radical. He's radical. He said, you follow me. He didn't sit down and negotiate and say, hey guys, what are you doing next Wednesday? Can you make a Wednesday? And if you can make a Wednesday, could you fit in like a Friday afternoon? No, he said, follow me. And it says that they left their stuff and followed him. And I am convinced in the power and the changingness of God that goes beyond what we think. And I have found that it is found in a radical obedience and a radical surrender. And when you're stripped away of everything that you have, you find that there's a total dependence on Him, but what's funny is there's a total peace that accompanies the total dependence. And so we, we're looking at our why. What is it that drives me? What is it that drives you? And in comparison, In companionship with that, what is it about solid rock? Because we are a family. We're a group. A few weeks ago, I shared with you, and I said, when people come to solid rock, one thing I want them to know is, I want them to know that without a shadow of doubt, what we are all about is seeing heaven on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. I am not... We have enough earth on earth. We've got enough junk in earth. We've got enough stuff of earth. It even infiltrates into the church. We've preached a God that is less than 100% capable. I've talked to people and they go, "Well, if it's his will." Like it's not? If it's His will, He'll heal. If it's His will, He'll do this. And it's like, His will is right here. And when I read it, that's what I go for. We sang this morning. I I haven't even started my sermon yet, but I'm just stirred. We sang this morning. All His promises are maybe, and if I get to it. All His promises are like, between Monday from 9 to 5 to Friday, 9 to 5. He doesn't check in. He doesn't clock out. He doesn't work off the Pacific time zone or the universal time zone or Greenland or whatever. He, he, he's, he is. He's above time. He's beyond time. He's our ever-present help In time of, says, come boldly before him. In time of, that's one of the craziest. I struggle with that passage because, in my mind, the moment I have a need, I close in and I won't tell anybody about it because I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, and I don't deserve it. And what does he say? He says, when the moment you recognize there's some need, come boldly to my throne of grace. There's a vulnerability that we have when we walk after him. What's funny is he knows what we need before we ask. So I don't think it's his benefit so much as it's maybe my benefit that I cast that thing off and give it to him. And he came to earth, and he turned the tables upside down. I'd like to say he turned them right side up. But he changed the way we live. He came and he said, I want to show you a better way. So when we read in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, what some people would call it the great Christian manifesto. What an amazing picture of Christian relationship and Christian life. And he says, this is what I'm going to tell you. And he he starts by dealing with attitudes. Blessed are you. And they are really backwards attitudes. Blessed are they that mourn because they're going to be comforted. Blessed are the peacemakers. Usually if you're a peacemaker, that means that there's some unpeace around. Blessed are the merciful. Why would I need to be merciful unless somebody needed mercy? And he comes and he says, this is how to do it. Then he says, by the way, you're the salt of the earth. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and says, I'm the one that makes a difference in my world? People, when they see me, do they see somebody that can actually help them? Or do they see me and they go, I don't even want to be around him. He says, you're the salt of the world. He says, you're a light set upon a hill That cannot be hid. He's amazing. And if I'm going to trust anybody, I'm going to trust him. And as he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount about halfway through, he talks about relationship and communication and conversation with God. And he talks about what it looks like. And and I want to read this passage to you to show you, uh, uh, give us some greater thoughts. And he says, whenever you pray, and we'll get to this in another version, but right now I want to read it in a version that maybe gives a little bit of a different look or different flavor. Maybe it will hit you in different points. He says, whenever you pray, be sincere and not like the pretenders. Who love the attention they receive while praying before others in the meetings and on street corners. Believe me, they've already received in full their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your innermost chamber and be alone with Father God, praying to Him in secret. And your Father who sees you, sees all you do, will reward you openly. Is that a true statement? Is that a true statement? Is that a true statement? I think sometimes we read these things and we just go on. He says what you're going to he says when you pray to me in private, I'm going to reward you openly. Thank you, Brad. You're going to see things And be rewarded publicly for your passion that you have privately. And your Father who sees all you do will reward you openly. When you pray, there's no no need to repeat empty phrases. Praying like those who don't know God. For they expect God to hear them because of their many words. There's no need to imitate them since your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. I find that interesting. It's like He's saying, if I was in your shoes, this is how I would do it. He's like, if, 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 if I was you... This is what I do. Have you, have you ever had somebody come to you and say, listen, if I was in your position, this is how I'd do it? Now, usually when I have somebody to say that to me, it's not somebody that I would consider um, that, that we're struggling in the same thing, but it's somebody that's more mature, has more experience, more wisdom, more understanding. Um, if I was a mechanic... I'd go to somebody that's a mechanic that has more experience than me. And I'd say, how do you do this? And they'd say, well, if I were you, this is how I do it. You know what? I'd be silly not to listen to them. And I've been silly many times. I've had people that say, David, if I were you, I'd do this. And I walk away thinking, you're not me. You don't know. And then the faux pas happens, and it hits the fan. And I go talk to somebody else, and they would say, David, if I were you, I had conversations. One of, the, one of the persons that I go to most is my dad. And I'll say, Dad, because he knows me intimately. And I'll go, Dad, what would you do if you were in my position And there's times where he says, you know what, if I was in your position, I wouldn't do that. And other times he says, you know what, if I was in your position, I'd be jumping all over it. And as I've listened to him, I have gained in whatever area I was asking him for. Because my dad isn't in it for him, he's in it for me. And so Jesus is saying, guys, (laughs) I've got some inner knowledge. I've got some connections that you don't have yet. I've got some vision that you don't have. But let me tell you, if I was in your position, this is how I would do it. So he says, when you pray, pray like this. He's not just like, hey, God. He's saying, it's like he's going, man, I'm God with us. I see the Father, and everything I do is what I see Him do. I don't do anything that I do of myself. I see Him do it, and I do it. He says, so if I'm going to talk with Him, if I'm going to pray to Him, if I'm going to petition Him, if I'm going to intercede, if I'm going to request from Him, this is how I would do it. And He starts by saying, our Father... He opens the door, and he says, our Father. He doesn't open the door and go, I'm here. No, I'm home. He goes, no. He opened the door by saying, our Father. And I want to read this to you from this translation. Then I want to just go through some of these thoughts here. He says, when you pray, pray like this. I think you need to write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. Pray like this. I'm not sure we know how to pray well. I usually pray when I'm in trouble. (laughs) And it's usually, help! But I've learned to pray when I'm in trouble by saying, Dad? Dad, you're so good. It's your son. He says, I know. He might say it in a different voice, but he says, I know. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is fulfilled in heaven. We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil. For you are the king who rules with power and glory forever. Amen. And I like this, and then he tags on to it. And when you pray, make sure you forgive the faults of others, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you withhold forgiveness from others, your Father withholds forgiveness from you. Forgiveness is huge. But today I want to talk about the first few phrases. Our Father who art in heaven, our Father, the context that we find him saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the context, the neighborhood that you find that is in, is in prayer. Apart from the last three minutes, when was the last time you prayed? Don't raise your hand and don't answer out loud. Prayer is not meditation. It's not sitting there going, I'm going to chew the word over, I'm going to go over it again. Meditation is biblical, but meditation takes the word and it regurgitates it and says it over and it repeats it and it examines it and it goes it and it lets it become part of you. We're to meditate on his word. It says meditate on his word day and night. If you want to grow, start feeding yourself with his word and start thinking about it. But that's not prayer. Prayer. And in today's day and age, meditation has this whole silly connotation with it. I'm not going there. What I'm saying is we need to take His Word. We need to meditate on it. But that's not prayer. Prayer is not somehow touching my inner man and my inner spirit. Prayer is not some state of mind or state of being where all of a sudden it's an altered state. Prayer is very much... 100% 100% me aware of what I'm saying and what I'm doing. The Holy Spirit comes, and He says, when you don't know what to say, you speak and your spirit comes out and you speak in a language that Holy Spirit knows and He speaks and He communicates. But when you're talking natural English, what you're doing is you're speaking your, your heart and you're actually having conversation with God. A Conversation... Always, otherwise it's not conversation, always involves a speaker and a listener. Conversation always does. Problem with husbands and wives, quite often the wife is speaking and the husband ain't listening. That's not conversation. Conversation is husband. And I'm speaking to myself here. Husband sitting down, looking eye to eye to wife and saying, I love you, dear. What was it that you said? And listening to what she says, not what I think she wants. Conversation sometimes is me speaking, and other times it's me hearing. And by the way, I find this hilarious, but God gave us one way to speak, but two ways to hear. So we should speak half as much as we listen. Prayer is conversation. It's talking. It's listening. Prayer is foundational in your life. My passion is to see heaven on earth. My passion is to see people's lives be translated from their state of being to see God come and touch them. My passion is to see lives changed. But my passion is found in prayer to him. This is my prayer. This is where I begin with. This is where I start my conversation with God is to say, God, this is essential in my life. I urge you this morning, develop a life of prayer. Develop a life of prayer. It is a discipline that others outside these walls don't know, but it's a discipline where God speaks to you, and you will actually be able to bring heaven to earth because you've taken time to speak to your heavenly Father, and He shows you His kingdom, He shows you His will, and He says, this is what it does in this situation. And it is bathed in, it's embedded in prayer. Prayer is essential. So Wednesday, we have the doors open from nine to two. I urge you, if you're not doing anything, come by for five minutes. Seriously, we have set an atmosphere in a place where there can you can have. I've had somebody walk in that door and literally take two steps into the library door and go, "Whoa!" Why? Because we have set that place aside for a place where God speaks and we take time to hear Him and listen. We don't have regularly scheduled prayer meetings, but we have regularly scheduled prayer. Wednesdays. And if you can't make it Wednesday and you say, I'd like to pray, you talk to me. And we'll figure out if you say, you know what, I've got too many distractions at home because I understand what that can be like. I've got too many distractions this place. I need to come. If you want to come someplace to pray, we'll give you a place to pray. We have a place to pray. Prayer is essential. Don't expect to see heaven on earth Don't expect to see as it's above, so below, if we don't take time speaking with the one who created it and does it and wants it. So the first thing I want you to see is in the context of everything, prayer. It's a missing discipline in the believer's life, I believe, today. And some of you may have times that you go for prayer walks or you have a room that you pray in. Awesome. Keep it up. And if you don't, find somewhere where you seem to connect with God, whether it's going through a walk in the trees or whether it's going somewhere else or whether it's even driving, whether it's sitting somewhere. Turn on some worship music and spend some time purposefully talking to God and purposefully listening to God. Because I guarantee you, when you ask Him a question, He will answer. The problem is, sometimes I don't like the answer. Prayer. So in the context... Of Jesus talking and saying on earth as it's in heaven. The context is found in, is embedded in prayer. So my prayer is for heaven to see heaven on earth. I want to take a couple minutes here and talk about that. When he says our Father. Our Father represents family. Represents a protection. Represents a pattern. Represents relationship represents a lead in most families. In most families, the father is the head representation. In today's day and age, who is the one attacked in a family? It's the father. Media attacks the father figure. I can't tell you how many sitcoms on TV the father is the one that's made fun of. That's an agenda from the enemy. And today's day and age, I read just in the last week in America, and I don't think it's too far off in Canada, but 43% of children don't have a father or have their father in their home. It's staggering. And what happens is a child gets saved, and then when we say our father, we have this picture of father in heaven that quite often is influenced rightly and wrongly by our Father on earth. And what we have to do is we have to take the picture and understand the good Father. He's a good Father. So Jesus, right away, He says, if I'm going to pray, He says, if, guys, let me give you an idea. If I was in your position... If I was sitting down here, listening to the smartest person on the earth talking, that's not me, by the way, that's Jesus. I've learned very well. But if I'm listening to him, and he says, if I were you, I'd do this, I'd go, boing, antennas up, thinking cap on, engaged, because he's smart. He's smart. And he says, I've got a secret that I know. And that secret is pray. And this is how you do it. You start by recognizing the headship and the lordship of Father. By the way, that's how you get his attention. By saying, Father. I can walk around my dad. And if I don't say anything, I don't always get his attention. But when I say, hey, Dad, it's like his ears perk up. His head turns. His eyes focus, and he looks at me, and he says, yeah? That's how we begin with our relationship and our conversation with God. Our Father then it tells you where he is, in heaven. In other words, he's higher above, and he's got a perspective of what's happening. Hallowed be your name. I am in, I, I, I said I'm intrigued by. I mean, Approach Him boldly in time of need. I'm intrigued by a lot of things in the Word of God. Another thing I'm intrigued by is the power of His name. Matthew, there is a power in the name of Jesus that no other name can duplicate or match. There's power in His name. I've talked to a number of people who have just said the name Jesus. And something happens. I believe you speak His name, and all the heavenly hosts and all the hell hosts hear His name. And the heavenly hosts snap to attention, hear His name, and hear what He's doing, and the heavenly hosts, or the hell people, they hear it too and they freak out because they know when his name's called, something does happen. I don't think we use his name enough. We say it inappropriately. We say it flippantly. We say it in passing. But the times we need it, He's not being used. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Father. If you want to settle an argument with a sibling, you go, Dad! I have a lot of siblings. We couldn't figure things out. But the moment we brought it to Dad, it was settled. His name. His name is great. Hallowed be your name. Now what I find, I said I found it interesting. We spend a lot of time and energy in Christian circles finding our identity. Now I understand that. But I think we need to spend more time finding who He is. Because when we spend time finding out who our Father is, our identity just so happens to show up at the same time. And it concerns me sometimes because I see it in Christian circles. I, see it, I hear it in Christianese, which is Christian language. It's like speaking Canadian. You speak Christianese. I hear it in circles. I hear it, and it sounds good. But what it does is things put me in the center of who I am and I make the decisions. No, I don't make the decisions. My father does and what he says I do. And what happens is I find my identity in him. In fact, when you read the scriptures, it says in Christ. And we saw it last week with, with Ty and Danine when they taught us and they showed us our identity is in Christ. And we have Christians running around. Who am I? Who am I? And they forgot to look to the Father. It's an epidemic in Christian circles. Know your identity. And I believe in that. But my identity comes from my Father. My identity comes from my family, and my family starts with my Father. So if you want to find your identity, look to your father and start talking with him. Instead of saying, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. Start saying, he's this, he's that. He's all-knowing, he's wise, he's my provider, he's my protector, he's my father. I'm his son. I, I see it a lot because as one one. Preacher once said, I get paid to be a Christian. I'm I'm in the office during the week, and I I study. My job is, is putting my face to books and studying and reading the Word. And so in my studies, I come across it a lot. And we've allowed those things to come into mind and into playing and into our areas where we start to become The person instead of God. Father. Our identity. that kingdom come. Your will be done. We've spent a lot of time looking at the word kingdom. I was amazed as I was studying the word kingdom. I saw something I'd never seen before. And the, the word kingdom, whenever you study a word... You don't look at the American dictionary. You look at the original languages. Because the original languages is is how it was written. And if you look at the word kingdom, I want to give this to you this morning. Because I think this, this to me was a revelation. It means domain, rule, reign. And then the root word. When you go to the root word, it talks about king, priestly, royal. And then it says Probably from, and he gives another word, and, when, and it says, as its notion for its foundation of power. And then you go to that word, and you find out the root word of the second root word. So you got the main word, you got a root word. Brad, you're understanding this, because I know Pastor Nelson's been teaching you how to go through. But you get the main word, and then it says from. You go to the word that it's from, and then you go to the next word that it's from. And that word talks about walking and stepping. The foundation of the kingdom of God is based on where he walks. Think about that. If you allow him to walk into a room in your life, he becomes king of that space. But if you close a door, build a wall, and segregate and say, you're not allowed in there, you know what? He won't be king of that area. The kingdom involves movement. The kingdom involves stepping. Every place His foot goes is His kingdom. Every place you allow Him to step in your life, He establishes His kingdom. Your kingdom come. We can't expect his kingdom to come there if we haven't allowed it to come here. Now, what's amazing about this is let's think about some of the language he used in the Bible. What did he tell Abraham? Every place, pardon me, every place you step, the sole of your foot, I've given to you. Isn't that an amazing picture of kingdom? He told Abraham, "You know what? Look there, and every place you step, that's yours. I'm giving it into your hands." What does he says about the enemy? We can tread him. He's under our Sometimes we think kingdom is rule reign, it is. But I'm here to tell you it's also where you're walking. Pastor Winona and I were talking this week. We're going to do some prayer walks. We've picked a spot we want to pray over. It's a huge area. But I believe as we walk, we establish His kingdom. I believe as we walk, we're going to go around the hospital. (laughs) They may not allow you to go in always to pray. But we're going to surround it. What are you, pray, walking? What are you walking? Because everywhere you go, you're establishing his kingdom. Because his kingdom is found in the places you walk, his kingdom is found in the places he walks. Your kingdom come, your will be done. He doesn't just say your kingdom come; he also says your will. His will is his desire, his thoughts, his determinations, his wishes. If you could say something, and they—if somebody came to you and say, "What will you have?" You tell them what you'd like. So when he, I find that. He says, Your kingdom come. Allow him to walk in your life. Allow him to have his thoughts, his desires, his intent in your life. And this gets me back to the spot where I said so much of Christendom has become about meism. But I have found when I say, Your kingdom come, your will be done, there is no selfish ambition found in His kingdom. There is no selfish ambition found when I say, Your kingdom come, your will be done. What I have done is I've yielded, submitted, and let go of me, and I said, What do you want? The effect the effect of on earth as it is in heaven, the magnitude of in Abbotsford or on Abbotsford as it is in heaven is not in these four walls. The magnitude of it is beyond these walls. The magnitude of seeing the power of God, yes, there is a measure of it, and it's amazing in here. But if we come to church only to get filled up because we can't handle it out there, we're missing out. What we need to do is we need to come in here, get to know him more, study him more, look to him more, and then go out there and share him with those that are out there. Because there's people out there without fathers, there's people out there without mothers, there's people out there without hope, there's people out there that are crying their tears because they can't get past something in their life, and the first thing they need is a touch from God. The first thing they need is a revelation and an outpouring of heaven on earth. The first thing they need is maybe you going to them, reaching out to them and reaching and lifting them up and saying there's hope. The first thing they need is maybe as simple as a cup of water given in his name. The first thing they need isn't for us to say, do this, do that. The first thing they need to see and hear is the love of God poured out to them and given to them with no expectation of it in return. That's not easy. Because we live in a world of give and come back, give and take. I want this and I'll exchange it for that. But in the kingdom of God, it's about giving your life a ransom for many. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did. And if you want to see a change in the world around you, and I do, then I must, I must align myself and say, your kingdom and your will be done. And just like it's in heaven, I want it in Abbotsford. That is how Jesus said, if I were you, This is how I would pray. This isn't made up by Matthew. In fact, there's two instances of God, the Father, teaching us to pray. They're not necessarily the same. Some people might say they are, but the instances seem to indicate two different instances. Luke 11 and Matthew 6. But each one of them, when you see how he wants to pray, he starts by saying, you establish here. I do not dictate. And I have learned that I've had to change my thinking and my ideas because my ideas and my thinking aren't always His will and His kingdom. One way that you can read this verse is says, Come kingdom, yours be done, will yours. Come kingdom, be done, will yours, not mine. Can you imagine how radical your world can change? when you take one moment and say, God, what do you want to do here? Can you imagine that moment you have an interaction with somebody? Whether it's somebody you love and care about and know deeply or somebody that's a complete stranger you've never met. You don't know them from anybody else. But can you imagine in that moment when you have an opportunity to react And it comes back to you. You have that moment. Can you imagine what it would be like if you said in that moment, and you can, you can, you can say, Father, what do you want to do? Can you imagine how that could change? Can you imagine how that can affect Someone, And that's why I'm saying it's not about these four walls. These four walls aren't going to be large enough to contain the goodness of God and the people's lives that are changed. These walls aren't going to be able to hold it back. And so when you come here Sunday, one of my goals is for you to leave here equipped, strengthened, so that you will take the good news of God into a dying world and you will see lives touched and transformed because you said... My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's take two minutes. Close your eyes if you could. If you could, I think you can. I'm going to say a simple prayer. And then I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to give you some thoughts. And as He gives you thoughts, pay attention to what He says, because after we pray, you need to record and document what He says. So Lord, in this moment, Lord, I want to know the realities of heaven on earth. Lord, I want to know what heaven looks like in the mess of my daily struggle. So, Lord, this morning, I'm going to take just a minute. And, Father, I'm going to just speak to you. And I'm going to let you speak back to me how my life can change when you establish your kingdom And your will in my life. So as I've said that, just take a second, two or three seconds, and just say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. Just say that to him. Then say, and then now let's just ask him and ask him, say, Father, what do you want to shift? What needs to shift? And now he's going to speak to you. Some of you he's going to speak about finances. Some of you he's going to speak about your habits. Some of you he's going to speak about your family. But as you said, Father, what needs to shift. He is now imposing his kingdom. He's imposing his will. And he's speaking to you in conversation. And he's saying, shift this. And he might be talking about business relationships. He might be talking about professional relationships. He might be talking about wisdom that you're getting from others. He might be talking about how to handle your children. He might be talking about how to deal with your spouse. He might be dealing... Whatever he speaks to you right now, just, just take a moment. Father, what needs to shift... Now, as he's spoken, some of you have got it just like that. What I want you to do is write it down. Seriously, if you've got a phone, take out your phone. You don't have to, I'm not asking you to show me. This is between you and God. If you've got a piece of paper, write it on a piece of paper. Because when he speaks, he's speaking for improvement. He's speaking to take you closer. So... You said, Lord, what needs to shift? He's spoken it, document it. And allow Him to reveal those things to you. So if you said, Lord, help me that I don't get angry with my children. That might not be an issue right now, but maybe in an hour from now when they're tired and and upset and they're pushing your buttons. He's going to come at that moment. And he's going to go, what do you want? Do you want your results or do you want heaven to come and even affect your children right now? And what he's going to do is he's going to give you an idea of how you can handle that situation. Amen. Can you stand? I want God to bless you this week. I want God to bless you every week. But today, find somebody here. Somebody that you don't always talk with. Look them in the eye and say, God bless you this week. And actually, God might even give you another thought or two. And just look at them in the eye, shake their hand. Don't give a feeble shake. Grab their hand, shake it strong and hold it strong. Look them in the eye and say a blessing. Speak God's word. Speak His will and His kingdom over them. Amen?